You, you know that, that most people despise the time change. It, it throws us in, into all kinds of, of chaos. There's research that suggests that, that the accident, car accidents uh, increase in, in the, the days following a, a time change, that there's, there's health uh, concerns that, that take place. It, it throws off uh, our kids' schedules. It throws off our schedules. It takes forever to try and get adjusted. And it even throws off our, our eating schedule. I don't know if you're one of those that, that you eat whenever you're hungry or if you eat whenever the clock tells you that it's time to eat. But I, I, I've read a number of times that, that eating is one of the ways that you can adjust your biological clock. Whenever you're traveling and you experience jet lag, that, that if you will, you feel fast or if you will eat at the time that it is to, to eat, whenever you, that whatever location that you are in, that that adjusts your biological clock so that you don't experience as, as bad of a jet lag. And the reason is because food, it, it, it orients us. It orients our bodies. But more than that, it orients our, our souls. This last week, there were, uh, you may have seen some people walking around town on Wednesday with, uh, looked like some, they had a bruise or some dirt on their forehead. Uh, in many Christian traditions, it's the begin, beginning of the, the Lent season. and begins with, with Ash Wednesday. And, and this season is, is all about a recognition of of who we are as human beings and who God is. C.S. Lewis wrote that, that our, our desires that, that seem to consume us, it's not that those desires are too strong, it's that they're too weak. That we are too easily satisfied by, by food and wine and sex and that God actually wants us to desire something greater that we all of our desires are intended to draw us to God and that's why we gather here to worship and as we've been in this study around the the meals that Jesus shares with the insiders and the outsiders the outcasts and and all kinds of different groups I have been reflecting on some of the, the meals that, that have been memorable in my life. And this last week, I had to, uh, to, to text my sister to remind her of a meal that, that uh, she had prepared whenever, uh, it, it may have been one of the first times that, that uh, my older sister w- was left in, in charge of myself and my, my younger uh, two sisters. And... Uh, she was supposed to fix us ravioli out of the can. It sounds pretty simple, but she burned it and just scorched the ravioli on the stove. And in order to fix it, she thought that it would be better if she started just grabbing every kind of cheese that we had in the refrigerator and throwing it in there and adding it to it. And then she forced us to eat it. And, and then, the, being the, the compassionate sister that she was, she went and fixed herself a sandwich. And I had to ask, I, I couldn't remember how old she was. She said she had to have been, uh, at most, maybe 13 or 14 years old at the time. And uh, she reminded me that she can cook better now 
than what she did then. Uh, but, but I'm still kind of skeptical. That, that's just kind of scarred into my memory of, of who she is as, as a cook. It just kind of has left that, that indelible memory into my mind that, that whenever she's cooking, I, I, I want to make sure that she eats what she's cooked before, before I will, will partake of it. But all of us have this moment when, when we have to stop depending on our parents to do something for us, and we have to start learning how to do it ourselves. And it doesn't always go well. Sometimes we burn the food. Sometimes we have to order takeout. Sometimes, you know, it, it's a disaster. But we have to learn. That's what is taking place in Luke chapter 9 is the disciples, the, the very term disciples, it, it implies that, that they are apprentices, that they are learning on the job. Read with me Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. When the apostles returned, because Jesus had sent them out, He'd empowered them, He, he had uh, given them the, the authority to, to drive out demons, to go about preaching about the coming kingdom, and now they have returned from, from doing that work. When they returned to Jesus, they reported uh, to Jesus what they had done. Then He took them with Him. They withdrew by themselves to a town go- called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed Him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, uh, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is one of the the greatest miracles that Jesus performs. And this morning, I want to, to give you kind of three big ideas from this miracle that Jesus performs. And the first is, is perhaps the, 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 the point, the message behind this story overall. That the mission of God, it must be accompanied by care of human need. See, the disciples, they had been empowered to go out and and fulfill the mission of God. And now, they think that the lesson is over. They think that they can just just be themselves, just let down. But Jesus says that the lesson isn't over. He says to them, you feed the crowds. School is, is still in session here. Two of my three sisters are, 
are nurses. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my mother and she was kind of lamenting the fact that, that as sickness is kind of invading uh, their families, much like it is uh, yours, I, I'm sure that, that my sisters, they'll, they'll call up my mom and ask, uh, you know, what kind of medicine they're supposed to give to their kids and, and that kind of stuff. And she's, she's sitting there thinking, you're, you're nurses, you know, you, you're trained in this. You should be able to do this. But there's some, some kind of gap that, that, is, uh, that, that we all struggle with. To bring skills that, that we use outside and, and bring them home with us. I have the same struggle. Whenever I find that I'm, I'm stuck in my faith or I'm stuck in, in something relationally and, and I will have an appointment with a, a spiritual director of mine and, and, and the advice that I will get from that spiritual director is something that, that I will have told people to do 15 times throughout the week. But for some reason, I can't make that same application to myself. And the disciples, they, they have the power. They've been given the authority they neglect to understand that it, that authority still exists here. And it, it is displayed through their care of the human needs. And in order for them to feed the people, secondly, they need to first address their, their mindset that they have a scarcity mindset, but Jesus wants them to, uh, as we all must, embrace an abundance mindset. They come to Jesus after He says, you feed them, and they say, you know, all we have in verse 13 is, is five loaves and two fish. It's such a little amount. As we have been focusing on being transformed into the image of Christ instead of being conformed into His image. The, the mindset, the, the framework from which we live whenever it comes to our resources is perhaps one of the greatest challenges that we face. Because the world tells us that, that resources are, are a zero-sum game. That financially, that, that, that you, you look at the, the, the world as this, this pie and, and you know, the, the certain people have this, this amount of the, the pie and, and, and you take your cut of the pie. And, and if you give that to anybody else, then, then it's gone. The resources are gone. Fossil fuel, it, it's this, this uh, limited, finite resource. This miracle is the only miracle of Jesus that is included in all four Gospels. Perhaps because we need to understand that in the kingdom of God, the resources are infinite. That whenever we we give of ourselves, that, that we find that there's always enough. Jesus sees the crowd and he's filled with compassion, which leads him to serve. The disciples, they see the crowd, but they are overwhelmed by the need, and so they want to send the crowd away. 
And as we think about how we can apply this, one way, and it's there on your your Connect card, is is that you can seek to, to bless three people this week. To intentionally be a blessing to, to three people at some point during the week. And it may be with, with just a, a word of affirmation that you encourage somebody with, with the words that you speak. Or maybe it's a, a random act of kindness that you, you provide. And it may be financial that, that you help somebody out who is in need financially. That you begin to, to stretch yourself in regards to generosity. To begin to live into the kingdom economics of, of God. Instead of the economics of this world. And as Jesus performs this miracle, we're not told exactly how it, it, it unfolds. Other than that Jesus blessed the bread and He distributed it to the people. That He gave it to the disciples. He, he, he blessed the bread. He gave thanks. He does exactly what He will command His disciples and ultimately the church to do. We have flipped the order of our worship service for this series moving communion to the end. And I've had a few of you ask why we have done that. And the reason is because as we are thinking about every meal that we share, we need to be reminded of of the meal that we share with the Lord. And that the communion, it is a meal that commissions us. That, that whenever we gather, and one of the parts that I love about our tradition is that we gather every single week and we, we partake of the communion every week. And it's not just to remind us of our salvation. It's not just to, to remind us of the sacrifice. But it's also to remind us of what God has sent us out into the world to do. This morning... I've invited uh, Dyron Howe, who is uh, the founder of Snack Pack for Kids, and many of you uh, have heard of that program, and you may be more familiar with it than, than what I, I am uh, being new here. But I wanted to, to invite him up to, to kind of share a little bit as we reflect back on these three big ideas, how, how he's living into that uh, with the, the Snack Pack for Kids and and we can kind of begin with this, the understanding of, of how Jesus, He saw the crowds and He saw their needs. And Darren, if you would, uh, as somebody who's just trying to live into the, the story of Jesus, share how, um, how, how Snack Pack for Kids, you know, where, where the, the need was that, that you saw that, that kind of founded this, uh, this movement that you've kind of started here. First of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, there's two parts of Snack Pack for Kids and how it got started. So the first one was I'm sitting in my couch in Flower Mound, Texas, watching Nightline. And they do a story about a 
teacher in Bowie, Texas, watching her kids lick their plate in the cafeteria. Everybody started making fun of this student. So that's what hunger looked like in Bowie, Texas. You talked about hunger looked very different in this story you just shared. So as I'm watching that story, Kayla Brown said something at the end of that Nightline story that really got my attention. She said, if you don't think this is going on in your community, you need to take off your blindfold. So when I'm watching this story, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, a lot of emotions were going on. But part of the story that most people don't know is at the time, my marriage was a total mess with my wife. And my relationship with my kids was a total mess as well. I think God puts things in our lives for a reason. And they're not always the most opportune time. They're not always the most convenient time. But really put that challenge before me of, are you going to take off your blindfold and you're going to see if there's any hungry kids in the Louisville Fire Mound area and do something about it? So the next day I go to Central Elementary School, find out there's 100 kids that need what we had both seen the night before. Started a program there. Moved here nine years ago. Um, Worked on my marriage, worked on my relationship with my kids. A very different place when we moved here than it was when I saw that story. So when we moved here in July of 2010, started asking questions about, do kids have food for the weekend? And the unanimous answer was no. In fact, it was quite the opposite. The need was quite overwhelming. To one of the two, much like what the disciples said, what are we going to do? There's, do you realize there's 5,000 people here? Where are we going to get the money? Other accounts actually talk about where are we going to come up with nine months' wages? Sure. So all of a sudden get a stack of letters describing thousands of kids, 1,500 kids, in fact. Wow. Um, can be quite overwhelming. So I guess the message from, from my journey was twofold. One, the intent initially was not about me. It was about let me feed some kids and prove to my wife and my kids that I'm a good person. But when we moved here, the intent was much different. It was about we had seen this work. We'd seen it change lives. And at that point, could we afford not to continue doing what we had seen that was transforming kids' lives in, in that community? So that's a little history about uh, how we got started. Yeah, and w- one of the things that I, I love about uh, the, the honesty of that is, is the, the motivation, not so much about the kids initially, but, but your own uh, kind of uh, family circumstance. And and I'm reminded uh, of the disciples' journey because their motivations were not always pure. And uh, think about it with, with uh, um, exercise. You know, a lot of times you don't, you don't feel like exercising, but you still get the benefits of it. And, and I think it's the same whenever it comes to obeying God that, that even though your motivations may not be pure, uh, or the purest, and, and you may not feel like doing it, just the, the act of serving, it, it has these benefits that, that flow throughout uh, everything that, that you are, are doing. So that, that's kind of how you began in Flower Mound and then uh, moving to Amarillo. What, what, what are the, the, the needs here in, in Amarillo? I saw on your website that, that one in four kids in the state of Texas, if I recall right, um, and... Well, I think the um, the need is not as obvious as we have seen or we see on TV or whatever. I travel to Kenya every year, and it's real easy to see hungry kids in Kenya. The minute you get off an airplane, it's very obvious. 
and and I think sometimes we look for the obvious, yet the obvious is not always what we're given to respond to. So the need in our community, uh, we serve over 4,500 kids here in Amarillo, and then we serve another 5,000 kids in the Panhandle. Across the state, we serve a total of 10,000 kids, including uh, groups in San Antonio, over 2,000. So the need looks very different than one in four or whatever statistic. What it looks like is on Monday morning, the student eats all their breakfast and then they eat their neighbor's breakfast because they went without for 66 hours on the weekend. And on Friday at lunch, they take their food and eat it, but they take the neighbor's food that they'd been eating all week and they wrap it up and they put it in their pocket. And so we, we identify kids based on behaviors and we equip our teachers actually to do this. And so those teachers that are dedicated to working with our students for 40 hours a week have that ability to identify those kids based on these behaviors. But I think one of the things we forgot about food, one of the essential parts of food is uh, a lot of times people have said it's a handout or it's a, something that creates dependency or it's something that in, creates an entitlement. And it's actually quite opposite of that. What, what food is is it's a basic need of life. And I think Jesus focused on this particular miracle for a reason. It is an essential element to then whatever is next. And what we say is real simple. Kids can't learn if they're hungry. So we feed kids so they can learn. But here's what we're seeing. Kids can change the world when they're full. And so it's our job to equip them for success. It's our opportunity to serve. Just as we've been challenged and Jesus challenged his disciples to do something in a way that was far greater than they could do on their own. It's what happens when you collectively work together for something bigger than yourself and you involve something much bigger than yourself, then you unlock the potential of these kids. We've all been given potential. We've all been given gifts. Yet we've all gotten there. We've been able to get there in a different way depending on how that potential is unlocked. We see that, yes, it's a statistic of maybe one in four. What you don't see is what happens when you equip kids for success. Wow. So one in four, that, that's hard to imagine because uh, of the environment that we live in, it, it's really easy to, I mean, w within two miles of where most of us live in these kind of wealthy suburbs, uh, you have everything that you need. And, and so we don't get outside of our bubbles very often to, to see. And so for some of us, uh, that first step may just be to, to open our eyes and to stop turning a blind eye to the needs that that are around us and uh, thank you for for your example and and presenting the opportunity before us uh, to do that and I know that the colonies here we've, we've partnered with with you for uh, a number of years and uh, you know, providing uh, financial resources to um, to provide the food is it, is it for the whole uh, elementary of, of uh, East Ridge? Is that, East Ridge Elementary, is that? yes. Okay. And um, it's significant. But we don't have to go to East Ridge. We can go right over here to Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Twelve kids this weekend. We serve at Sleepy Hollow. We go to Puckett, there's 22 kids. Emerald High, there's 40. Western Plateau, there's 50. So we don't have to get all the way to East Ridge. Yeah. 
to serve kids. But your church has been incredibly dedicated in serving 240 kids every weekend. I have a stack of letters that I brought from our kids. And I think a lot of times you called me the other day and said, hey, what can we do? We want to do something. We want to make a difference. You've been making a difference. And it may not be something that you see, but, but the thing that you do for kids at Eastridge is something that we sometimes take for granted, and it's that consistency. If you follow Jesus in his ministry, it was consistent. Now, whether his disciples and his followers latched onto that and grasped that, but he was consistent. You've been consistent for kids. And so what kids tell us in these letters is, I feel important because they get a bag that costs $3.75. They feel important. I can focus. I'm no longer starving. I'm able to do what I need to do in the classroom. You have one little boy that walks home and there's a, occasionally runs into someone else that needs help, an older gentleman. And he talks about in his letter is, I give half of my snack pack to one of my neighbors that needs food. Wow. We are equipping kids to unlock that potential, and it's because of this generous support of your church. Yeah, that, that's someone that clearly has the, that abundance mindset rather than, and they, they're in a situation where, where perhaps they should be, or at least from our frame of mind, should be having the scarcity mindset. I'm going to keep all, all I have to, to myself, and, and yet they're, they're, they're giving that, that away. Now, uh, as we continue to think about this, this abundance mindset and trying to live into that, uh, I know that, that you, uh, you prepare food, uh, is it every Tuesday? Or so every other Tuesday? Every other Tuesday. Every other Tuesday. Okay. And uh, for those that are interested in serving, they can sign up for that. And do you allow people just to show up? Or uh, I know you kind of have. Well, if you ask uh, Dick, you've been a couple of times recently. It's organized chaos, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> so let me just cast a vision. Two things, the scarcity mindset, the abundance mindset. Um, Every other week, 250, 300 people show up at our warehouse. And it's every neighborhood. It's every story. There's people that show up to pack their own bags. So we have kids packing their own bags. We have people there that are sponsoring these kids. We have churches. We have businesses. We have every faith that walks in the door. But for 45 minutes, everybody walks that through, through that door with one goal, and that's to serve our kids. These kids are our kids. They're not some other neighborhood's kids or some other part of Amarillo. These are our kids. And our opportunity is to serve. And so our community comes to rally around these kids. We pack 5,000 bags in 45 minutes with an all-volunteer army. So we don't waste your time. The time is the most precious thing people give us. We don't get more time. And so we maximize that. Um, and it can be overwhelming. We started with 10 kids in my kitchen. And now we serve 10,000 10, kids. Wow. And the reason we serve 10,000 kids is because it's not about us. It's about them. And it's about giving them the blessings they deserve and the blessings they need to unlock their potential. Yeah. Now, um, as somebody who has wrestled with this, this story, and I didn't, didn't send this one to you, so I don't know that you'll have uh, a, a great greatly thought out answer 
But as somebody that has wrestled with this uh, story, what, do you have any advice for somebody that, that is, is wrestling with how, how they can find uh, the, the need that, that is really God has equipped them to fulfill? I'll tell you what I tell people all the time when they ask me this question or how do we get involved. Um, I think it'd be easy to get over, overwhelmed or whatever with somebody's story. There's no way I can go from 10 kids to 10,000. Well, then maybe that's not your job. We've all been uniquely gifted in our own way. God has gifted us in our own way. And I think too many times we look at our neighbor and say, um, I'll never be that good. So then we stop before we start because we're scared. Because we're trying to do it by ourselves, And I think the key is to unlock that potential that you've been given to make a difference. And you've been given a unique gift. And I tell people all the time, they say, what can we do for snack pack for kids? And I, this is what I tell them. Usually, what do, what do they say? Give us money. Da, da, da. It's real simple. We need what you're good at. And when you do what you're good at, then you are fulfilling and using the gift you've been blessed with. Well, each person in here is different at something else. That's the reason we're serving 10,000 kids, not 10, because I'm not trying to do everything I'm good at. Otherwise, there would be a lot of missing pieces to this puzzle. So each one of you should do what you're good at. Not be afraid of failure because you're going to fail. But there's going to be someone there to pick you up. And someone is going to be there. But many times we're afraid to step out on faith. There's a pretty big storm and Jesus steps out and what's everybody else worried about what? Do you not realize what's going on here? He d he's like, I do. but yeah. And so I think it's on us to step out in faith and use that gift he's gifted us. And it's going to look di very different for each one. Yeah, I love that emphasis on uh, how Jesus has, or God has gifted all of us. We don't know the, the logistics of, of how this miracle takes place other than Jesus blesses it and somehow it's distributed. But in my imagination, the way that it takes place is, is that Jesus, He maintains, he, he keeps the bread and the fish, and He'll break off a little piece, and He'll give it to the disciples, and they'll go out, and they've got this basket, and, and they, they pass out their basket full, and then, then they're out. And then they still see the, the great need that's still all around them, and they have to, they have to return to Jesus for more. And then Jesus fills that basket again, and then they, they go back out. And, and I think that, that emphasis on you know, God has, has gifted you, so, so return to God and, and allow him to fill you so that you can fill others around you.